Well, I said earlier that uh, people need to change their perspective. And if you have children, this uh, thing to understand won't be too hard for you. You've been in the car about 20 minutes, and from the back comes the little question. Can you all say it to me? That's it, that's it. It's like they've all been to some little training school where they've learned to do that. Uh, Now, I I can remember saying that myself, but the funny thing is I can't remember going to the training school. But somehow we learn it all together. And in the end, it really does come down to perspective, doesn't it? For the adult, 20 minutes in a car is just the beginning of a journey, but for a kid, that's the equivalent of half a lifetime, perhaps more. Uh, One's perspective on things changes the whole view. Now Habakkuk, if you remember from last week, looked around at his nation and the world. He saw all kinds of bad stuff going on and questions came for him, very, very profound and strong questions. How long, O Lord? You don't seem to be listening. You don't seem to be saving and you make me look on injustice. Have you lost control here, God? Now God's answer was, look and be amazed, Habakkuk. I'm raising up the evil Babylonians. What kind of an answer is that? It was an answer, but it was an unpleasant one for Habakkuk. And it would have been for anyone. But I want to take us to Habakkuk's world just for a minute, just so that we might get a grip on how unpleasant an answer that was for him. Habakkuk came along well after King David, of course, and well after Israel had been at the height of its power. The country had been split into two under Rehoboam and Jeroboam. The two kingdoms had run separately for generations and they'd even been at war against one another, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. By Habakkuk's day, Israel had been wiped from the face of the map by the Assyrian kingdom. That region would become known as Samaria in the New Testament, if you're reading there, God's fierce judgment had fallen on Israel and now Judah was under threat as well. The last kings of Judah had turned away from God and they had turned to follow other gods. Not the career, the sport, the family gods that we tend to chase after, but gods of wood and stone. As inevitably happens when you abandon the one true God, injustice, laziness and wickedness had followed. That's Habakkuk's world. A nation abandoning God and going its own way. That's our world too, isn't it? A nation abandoning God and going its own way. A God chasing after new a world chasing after new gods of powerlessness and weakness of self-satisfaction a world where injustice and laziness and wickedness were on the increase it was Habakkuk's world and it's ours too how long O Lord can become our cry too can it how long before you clean it up how long before you judge and God's answer Look at the nations and see. Be astonished. Be astounded. For a work is being done in your days that you would not believe if you were told, I'm rousing the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Habakkuk, I am going to judge and you and your nation will fall under that judgment too. 
I'm going to use the evil Babylonians as my tool for justice. Poor old Habakkuk. He wanted an answer to his cry and he got one. An answer that he didn't like one little bit. And so we come to his second complaint to God. As he hears what God says, he then turns to God and says, Are you not from of old, O Lord my God, my Holy One? You shall not die. You're the Lord. O Lord, you have marked them for judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for punishment. Your eyes are too pure to behold evil, and you cannot look on wrongdoing. Why do you look on the treacherous and are silent when the wicked swallow those more righteous than they? Well, I guess at least this time his questioning has some elements of respect in it. My God, my Holy One, O Rock. But a question still comes. Okay, God, if you're going to bring justice and judgment, how can you use evil people to do that? Are you going to use evil people, people even more wicked than our own, to bring about punishment for us? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves. These evildoers will plunder us. Will you stand by, God, and let this happen? Will you stand by as they catch us up in their net and live in luxury and eat all our good things? Will you allow them to give credit and worship to their own net, their own strength, when you're the one true God? God, will you prefer the wicked over your own people? Now, you would have thought that Habakkuk would have learned not to ask such questions, wouldn't you? From the first time that he asked them. Last time, the answer that he got certainly wasn't the one that he would have liked or expected. So let's see how he goes this time. Chapter 2, verse 2 and following. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. For there is a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and it does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Write down what I say to you, Habakkuk. Even if time seems to be ticking away, what I have said will come to pass. Justice and judgment will come. Now, perspective is important, isn't it? Children don't tend to have it when they're on their car trips. And to be honest, I don't think people tend to have it when they relate to God and to his world. Habakkuk has looked at his world and he's gone, it's all out of control. But God says, no Habakkuk, it's not out of control. Your problem is that you don't see the big picture. Things will happen just as I've ordained them to happen. You need to trust me. Now we look around at our world, don't we, and we see Christianity retreating in our society. Don't you feel that? Shrinking churches, nativity plays banned, carols and prayers banned. We see Islam and secular humanism on the rise. We see other religions and self-worship on the advance and we can think we're finished. We've lost. Do you sometimes feel that? Just wave your hand if you sometimes think that. Well, I'm at least in line with some of you. Those other of you that are much more advanced, thank you for being there. 
Because I think sometimes I need a better perspective. I think that's often we're looking at things only from our own eyes, our own perspective. We're looking at our own patch and our own time. I want to take you again to a different place. I want to take you this time to India. Uh, can, I, can I again uh, get you to raise your hand if you've heard of the India Gospel League? Put your hand up if you've heard of them. Just one or two people. Watch this. The India Gospel League, by themselves, have planted over 20,000 churches in the last 20 years. One mission organisation. And they have planted 20,000 churches in the last 20 years and we've not heard of them. You know, the India Gospel League can't even get enough pastors to look after all the new churches that they're planting. The growth is so significant that now the Christians in India are being persecuted more than ever before. Now we hear about that bit, but we don't hear about the earlier bit. But the growth continues. Did you know, I'm going to take you to another place, did you know that there are over 18 million Anglicans in Nigeria? Did you know that? That's not counting all the other denominations. Just 18 million Anglicans. And in that country too, opposition has become more and more physical. And we hear about that bit, but we don't hear about the first bit. I guess you read in my Sunday sign a few weeks ago that after Bishop Patrick left here and went back to Uganda, he confirmed 468 candidates in the Anglican Church in just one parish with 2,000 people watching on in one day. You read that, didn't you? And you were astounded. Well, a few years ago, Bishop Peter Brain joined with then Bishop, Bishop Edward in that country, and the two of them confirmed candidates for four solid hours. Bishop Peter on one side of the church, Bishop Edward on the other, with just streams and streams of people coming in. For four hours they confirmed people. That's all they did. We haven't heard of it, have we? The church isn't in retreat, brothers and sisters. It's just changing colour. And we've not noticed. God is at work now, just as he was in Habakkuk's day. Habakkuk's perspective, just like ours, might need some adjustment. The first part of God's answer to Habakkuk's second complaint is, Habakkuk, wait. I am in control. See things from the correct perspective. Take the longer term view. Understand what I'm doing in the world. And the second part of his answer is, trust me. I have it worked out. I have it under control. Now you'll see that very clearly in verses 13 and 14 and again in verses 18 to 20. It's kind of cryptic, but the message is clear. Is it not from the Lord of hosts that people labour only to feed the flames and nations weary themselves for nothing? But the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in verse 18... What use is an idol once its maker has shaped it? A cast image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in what has been made, though the product is only an idol and cannot speak. Alas for you who say to the wood, wake up. To silent stone, rouse yourself. Can it teach? See, it's gold and silver plated. There's no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silence 
before him. I am at work and the idols are powerless. God will bring glory to all the earth and he is alive and ruling. Trust me, Habakkuk. Trust me. <clears throat> Don't be led astray by how things look. Don't even be led away by how you feel. Don't let your limited perspective cloud out what I've already told you. Don't put your emotions before God's word. Justice and judgment will come. We have a different perspective to Habakkuk, don't we? We actually look back in history and God answered Habakkuk perfectly. Judah took God for granted and our perspective tells us that God did what he said. Babylon came. They crushed the last remaining enclave of the promised land. They took away all Israel's treasures and power, all her leaders and wealth, all her powers and pride. Even the temple was gutted and destroyed. So had God failed? Had God lost? Was God false in the face of Habakkuk's questioning? No. Just as God said, justice came to those who were wicked, even those who claimed to be God's people. Real justice, in fact. Not the kind brought down on one while ignoring another. Israel herself felt it. And where is Babylon today? Well, it's a ruin if you go there. It's a ruin in the sand, just as God said would happen to that nation as well. To Babylon, he said, Will not your own creditors suddenly rise and those who make you tremble wake up? Then you will be booty for them because you have plundered many nations. All that survive of the people shall plunder you because of the human bloodshed and violence to the earth, to the cities, to all who live in them. Alas for you who get evil gain for your houses, setting your nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. We read later, Alas for you who build a town by bloodshed and found a city on iniquity. God is worthy of, his, of trust because he is active and he does judge. And even more than that, he's worthy of that trust because he will save his people even in the midst of that judgment. In chapter 2, verse 4, there is just a glimpse that we need that gives us the confidence that we need. Again, it's a little bit cryptic. But the righteous will live by his faith, it says there. Now, the original language is very ambiguous. Whose faithfulness or faith will save? We might be left if we were reading it in the original. Is it the faithful person's faith and their trust in God that will save them? Or is it God's faithfulness that he will save the person? Well, I think the ambiguity is intentional. Both are true. God's people must trust if they are to be saved. But it is God himself who gives and is worthy of that trust. This is actually about a relationship, and relationships are two-way by nature, one approaching, one responding. Habakkuk has asked the question, will you prefer the wicked God? And God's answer is no. The wicked will be judged, 
and Habakkuk, Judah has become wicked. God doesn't judge on a sliding scale. All wickedness will be called to account. And yet through it all, God will save his people and he will cover the earth with his glory. Habakkuk, that hasn't happened yet, but trust and wait. God is at work saving his people, bringing justice, but sometimes our perspectives need to be adjusted. I want you to come with me again to another place. I want you to come with me now and think on the cross. It's the right place for us to end up if we're thinking about justice and mercy, about judgment and salvation. Go to the cross, another rage ahead of Habakkuk, and what do you see there? Tell me. Isn't it the hands of wicked people doing the most wicked thing ever? The murder of the only truly great one? And yet what was God doing in the midst of that? Isn't it terrible that the only one that didn't deserve death for sin died at the hands of sinners and for the sake of sinners? Can God use evil hands to bring about good? Well, we know he can. That's where all our trust and hope is founded. On the ultimate justice, on the ultimate rescue, both good and bad will be there and God will be bringing good out of even the evil. You see, God doesn't prefer the wicked. He doesn't regard the power of arms or idols as important. He does have things in control, but we may need to wait and to trust. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Thank you. Now, brothers and sisters, it can be hard for us to keep our feet calm. It can be hard for us to have a right perspective on ourselves and on the world around and about us. But as the voice called of the Lord called to Habakkuk and he was caused to refocus, so we must refocus. When we look at what God did through Jesus and the peace that he brings even to the sinner through the most tragic of circumstances, the most wicked of circumstances, we can actually see God at work. Completely in control and able to both save and judge even in the midst of strife. Our God is worthy of our trust. And listen to the last bit that is yet to be revealed. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what's going to happen. And our God will bring it to pass. Let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks for your faithfulness to us. We understand that you bring judgment to the world and that not even the wicked are beyond your control. We pray, Heavenly Father, that even as perhaps justice falls upon us, that you'd increase our trust and that we'd look to you and your saving power among the nations. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name.
Amen. Amen.